for the holidays. Thanks for leading us in song. Dalton, uh, we'll be praying for others as they travel uh, for the holiday season. Uh, we're starting the conclusion, the finale of our study, Judging the Judges. Uh, it's been a very, uh, very challenging subject, I think, for some, and, and a very enlightening subject uh, in another way. Uh, tonight, uh, we conclude this study uh, with our, we've been talking about uh, the ministers of the roundtable ranking, and we've been ranking, we've been judging the judges, and it's taken us, uh, we've gone over six different judges thus far, we're finishing off with our top number one judge in our, in our study thus far. Uh, we have tonight an interesting study, I believe, but we're going to go through this list that we've had thus far. We've talked about Ehud, Abimelech, Jephthah, Gideon, and Samson, and Deborah, and so many of you uh, I've been talking to are, are very interested, very curious who the final judge could be, uh, taking uh, guesses at who that might be. Uh, we, we may have snuck, uh, snuck one by you because we're not actually going to be in the book of Judges tonight. Tonight, we're talking about our number one overall judge, a man who was prophet, priest, and a judge. And he goes by the name Samuel. Samuel is our number one overall judge in our study, in our Ministers of the Roundtable ranking. Uh, we know a lot about Samuel. In fact, out of all of the judges, there is more information about Samuel than any other judge uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, so it's a little bit difficult to narrow his story down uh, in order for us to, to finish on time tonight, uh, which is why I'm moderator for tonight. And I just have to ask the questions. So uh, we're going to do our best job at uh, trying to get through these questions and try to do his life justice as we go through uh, our study tonight. Just some facts about Samuel. Uh, he's from the tribe of Levi. Central Israel was that uh, region that he was in. Uh, and so there's some interesting facts about him. His point of interest, he's, he's the last judge. He's also the goat. I know that might have some negative connotations in Scripture, but in uh, secular life these days, that means the greatest of all time. That's what we think of Samuel when we think about his life as a judge. We're going to go ahead and get started. And as we go along, we're going to try to uh, chronologically talk about uh, his, his story that we see in the book of 1 Samuel. Go ahead in your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel. That's where, obviously, his story begins. The book of 1 Samuel, beginning in chapters 1 and 2, uh, we're going to be setting the stage with our first question. But before we get to that, remember, uh, chapters 1 and 2 are, are some of the most uh, well-known stories, at least in... At, obviously in Samuel's life, but also in all the Old Testament. We think about how Samuel was born. Uh, Samuel's birth was, in, in and of itself was, was almost miraculous, very providential in how God was working through Hannah and Elkanah when they conceived and, and had Samuel. And we know in chapters 1 and 2 that we have this amazing story of Hannah uh, going before the temple to, to pray, go, going before the, the priest, the, the tabernacle to pray, and, and to ask for a child. And we know many people throughout Scripture that 
uh, had trouble with conceiving ch uh, children, and, and Hannah was one of those. And she goes uh, to Eli the prophet, and, and the prophet Eli, the priest, the judge, Eli, hears her prayer, tells her to go on her way, that the Lord has heard her. And sure enough, Hannah conceived, a, 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 Hannah and Elkanah conceived a child named Samuel, and uh, her prayer was that she would commit Samuel to the Lord all the days of his life. And so in chapters 1 and 2, we see this amazing story of, of prayer and of, of God providing and this amazing vow that she makes and that she upholds uh, throughout uh, the rest of Samuel's life. All of his days were, were dedicated to the Lord. So guys, as we look at chapters 1 and 2, Samuel's birth is one of those interesting narratives in the Old Testament. But what stands out to you as you look at Hannah's example uh, throughout chapters 1 and 2, what, what stands out to you about her prayer and her vow to God? And what can we learn from her godly example of a godly parent? Well, first thing I would say about her prayer is, is that during the period of the judges, God is uh, typically being called upon by the nation, by multiple people, and it appears as though his chief concern or his chief involvement is always military-oriented. And, and so through the period of the judges, the, the people are crying out because they're oppressed, and God is responding uh, with military leaders to help um, free them of their oppression. But here we have an individual praying to God to relieve her of her affliction, uh, which in her case was barrenness, and... She speaks to God in such personal terminology. She trusts that he doesn't just, that he not only cares about the nation, but that he cares about her and her situation. So if you look at her, the specific prayer that's uh, mentioned in verse 11 of chapter 1, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to you, to the Lord all the days of his life. She's she believes that God cares about her and her plight, not just the plight of the nation of Israel or the, or, or the entire group, but, but her. And so it's very personal, and, and she's trusting in God to take care of that very intimate situation which she's in. But I think the, real, the thing to take away from her as a mother is she set a precedent here before her son is born of prioritizing the Lord. And her prioritizing of the Lord with her vow and with giving her son to him spills over into his life and, and he becomes the most devoted person to the Lord probably in the whole Old Testament as we'll look at as we go along. I, uh, I was thinking about just some of the great women in the Bible and there's a quality that, that a thread that weaves many of them together including a story by Jesus about a widow who went before a judge over and over again um, you find this quality in likely women like Tamar, finding the Canaanite woman who would not be denied as Jesus seemingly had a, a sharp rebuke for her. Um, and she said, well, hey, even the crumbs that fall from the master's table, the dogs. And, and, and so what I'm trying to say is, is that these women, these great women have this persistence, um, this would not be denied um, attitude and spirit. And don't you see that from her to me? Like I, we, don't have, we don't see this. How many times year after year did she go and basically was told no or got no answer from God? 
Um, and yet she continued in this prayer. And then afterwards, after Samuel's born, we notice every year she continues to go. She uh, makes a robe for Samuel each year and presents it to him, continues worshiping. And I think for uh, mamas and all parents, I think that's just a, a simple message. It's just, you know, keep on keeping on. Don't be denied. Be persistent. Be endure in your role as a parent and uh, keep on trucking, basically. You know, I think something I picked up on this time was uh, when she didn't eat, when she did eat. I never really picked up on that before reading it through this time. You'll see... Um, Back in verse 7, when she's talking about all the times that, you know, that year after year this would happen, she'd go to the house of the Lord, and this kind of her competition over here would kind of provoke her, and she would go home and she would not eat, right? Well, then if we look, um, then Elkanah, you know, says, hey, what's going on? Verse 9 then, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in shallow. Eli the, was, uh, the priest was sitting at the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. What I kind of pick up from this, and it's interesting, as soon as she's done talking to Eli, what does she do? She eats and then goes back home. What I'm, what I'm taking away from this, and very quickly, is the fact that this was no just like, this was a pre-thought-out prayer. I don't think this is, my competition has provoked me again, my husband doesn't understand me, and I'm at my wit's end, and I'm just going to, I'm breaking down emotionally, and Lord, if you just gave me a son, I'd give him back to you, right? This is not a, um, you know, foxhole prayer where you just feel like, okay, this is my last chance, I'm just going to pray. No, this is her preparing for this, okay? My life is this situation, it hasn't gotten any better. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I usually don't eat, but I'm going to eat. I'm going to prepare myself for a strong day. I'm going to walk, I'm going to, walk to that temple and sit down and pour it all out. And she weeps bitterly, right? So it's not like she, does, she holds the emotion back. But this wasn't a spur of the moment. This is a, I'm going to do what I can at the, every chance I get, right? And, that, and I think that, that's a great point, speaking mm-hmm. of that consistency. I think what we learn about that um, when it comes to parenting, right, is good parenting most often doesn't just happen on accident, right? It's, it's well thought out. It's I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to wake up in the morning and make sure this, you know, this, this uh, child the Lord's blessed me with that I'm giving back to him in every way I can. It's not of, well, we do have time for class tonight or we do have time for an extra Bible study. It, none of that comes by finding time, right, to dedicate your son back to the Lord. It's making time and being there and being intentional with that vow so Mm. Mm. and one other thing i'd add too is that i just think it's really cool that two of the greatest prayers in all the bible uh are proclaimed by women and hannah's and mary's magnificat as it's called in luke they're very similar um just really powerful prayers awesome stuff That's, that's great 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 points guys when we think about hannah's example as as a parent uh, that thoughtfulness that she puts into her prayers. Are, are we praying for our children's future as parents and, and taking that time to, to pray that God is, is going to be with our children even before they're even born, as Hannah does? I think this example of, of, of a godly mother is so important. I think we would all do well to make a vow to God to devote our children to His kingdom before they're ever even born. I think as parents, we have to feel that way about the church. I think we have to feel that way about the kingdom of God, that, that we are going to make every effort, that it's no question our kids are going to be in the kingdom of God. Hannah gives this great example in chapters 1 and 2. So his, his, his birth alone, his, his, his coming to earth alone as Samuel is this amazing story, but, but also his childhood. 
his, his childhood is, is marked with, it's, it's very remarkable in that, uh, like we said, from the very beginning, he, he is devoted to service. The moment he is weaned from his mother, he is given back to Eli, just like the promise was given. And then he starts to grow up under the tutelage of Eli. Eli, uh, th- this guy who, you know, there's, there's pros and cons about Eli, uh, but when we think about Eli, what do we think about? Think about his job as a father. And we think about uh, him dropping the ball as a father. And we think about how even as a young child, God spoke to Samuel. Didn't speak to Eli anymore. At a very young age, we can see that in Samuel. <clears throat> so, our next question we have is, as Samuel sat at the feet of Eli when he grew up, what stands out to you about Samuel's childhood mis- uh, ministry? Is there something to be said about the maturity that he had at even such a young age, uh, perhaps? If you look at uh, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3, verse 19, it says, So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. You know, one could even make the connection. This is a very similar story to what we see in Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus was born in a miraculous way, and even in his childhood, he was noted among all the people. When he goes to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature and God and man. You see that kind of, that type antitype relationship between Samuel and Jesus. So what can be said and learned about uh, Samuel's childhood ministry? Okay, I'll start by, um, I want to go back to Hannah again. I think there's more to be said. And you mentioned my point, um, what I want to pull out about maybe what speaks to the success of his ministry early on. And that's the fact that Hannah's still involved. Hannah and Elkanah are still showing up, and they didn't drop the kid off at youth event and leave, right? Go back to verse, and this might be one of the sweetest passages in all the Bible. If you're a mom, this is the most adorable passage. Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 19. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. He even says a little robe. I yeah. mean, it sounds yeah. like, you know, my mom wrote that this year. You know, I'm going to yeah. bring you a little jacket, don't worry, every year, you know, up to Freed. Um, I'm reminded of the movies where there's that redheaded, you know, there's the, the, the trio, there's a the redheaded guy, and his mom makes him the homemade sweaters every year at Christmas, right? So my point here is Hannah has this amazing moment of faith that God, um, you know, answers, and she has this son and dedicates him, and she drops him off, and he is studying at the feet of Eli, who's a great priest for so many different reasons, right? Um, yet Hannah's still showing up every year to show the love. And then in verse 20 and 21, Eli and... Um, Eli, or Eli is blessing both of them. They're having that conversation. And you see that kind of mutual respect there. And then they're going home and the Lord continues to bless Hannah with other children as well. You want to talk about good parenting? You want to talk about a good, what, what contributes to a good ministry here? There's a good family still in the background here. It's not, all of us can come to these pews and hear great lessons, right? I can have kids in my class you know, on Wednesday nights. They can hopefully hear good lessons from me, right? Well, that doesn't mean anything if the parents aren't still involved. Just sitting at Eli's feet did wonders. I mean, did incredible things. But I think there's a lot to be said that Samuel grew up with the love of his family showing at every opportunity they had. So that's my quick answer, maybe why he found success. Um, 
kind of in a different light. Yeah, I, one of the things that came up that stood out to me is uh, Samuel gets uh, the word of the Lord um, that, that stresses that Eli and his sons are about bad stuff's going to happen to them uh, because they've dishonored God. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is that if you look uh, chapter 3, verse 17, Eli said, what was it, 317, what was it that he told you, do not hide it from me? In verse 18, Samuel ends up telling him everything and hid nothing from him. Uh, I think it is a very real lesson that Samuel learns at an early age that he's going to have to repeat, and that is is that his job as prophet and uh, the voice of the Lord is to tell people the truth even when it ain't the best news he gets to bring. And that is tough for a, a young man at whatever age he's at, and we're going to see that theme repeat over and over. So for me, uh, Ben kind of already stole the idea that I had, but think about the comparisons between Jesus and Old Testament characters. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. Jesus is a king like David. Elijah is going to factor into so many aspects of Jesus' life, whether it be the Transfiguration or John the Baptist or, 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 or even when Jesus is, is speaking from the cross. So these, these massive Old Testament heroes are factoring in with connections to the life of Jesus. And a verse that Ben didn't read that I want you to notice is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. It says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. That's the, that's the verse that is almost identical to Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, where in Jesus' childhood, as Ben was talking about, says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. When we reflect on Jesus' childhood, it's the same as Samuel's. Samuel was like Jesus as a kid. That's, that's kind of what I take away from it. That's, so that's a pretty, that's a pretty, pretty big incredible. statement. Mm -hmm. To use the same language about Samuel as a child as you would use about Jesus as a child. So I, to me, that's the impressive thing about Samuel as a kid. Mm. I mean, it, it is truly impressive when, when you make that comparison and you see, you know, just the hand of God in every phase of Samuel's life. Uh, unfortunately, until what we're going to talk about now, um, we, we, we just talked about sitting at the feet of Eli for many years, watching how Eli was a judge and, and watching how he was a father and seeing that, that terrible example of a father. I want everyone to go ahead and go over to chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. In chapter 8 is where our next question is going to be uh, derived from. Before we get to that, you know, Samuel has, has become the judge, the prophet, the, the priest of Israel at this time. And over the past couple of chapters between what we just talked about, you know, Israel is, is, is at battle with the Philistines in a very serious way. And, and they're the number one threat uh, to Israel at the time. Then in chapter 8, you're going to see that Samuel wants to establish his sons as judges over Israel, right? So it's only natural that, that his sons take on the mantle of, of judge as, as he, had, he had been for so many years. 
So he is going to establish his sons as judges, and then he gets smacked in the face with this reality, this truth bomb, that all the people reject his sons as judges. The people reject his sons as judges, and it's because of how wicked and how uh, uh, un- unrighteous they were and all the different things that chapter 8 talks about. In verse 3, uh, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. And so what happens in chapter 8 is the people demand for a king so that they can be like all the other nations, right? He says that we want to be like all the other nations, so establish for us a king. And that had to be very difficult for Samuel to hear. This man that, that was born miraculously and, and that was, uh, uh, had this childhood ministry that is related to Jesus, and, and here he is confronted with the fact that, that he dropped the, dropped the ball as a father. And so the question we have right now is, you know, we've talked about all you know, positives thus far about Samuel. Let's, let's talk about some of his downfall. Uh, even though Samuel had been there to see Eli's failure as a father, he followed in his footsteps. Samuel's sons were so wicked that the people of Israel rejected them as judges. What can we learn from Samuel's failure as a father? I was hoping to go last on this one. You can because, go last if you want to. Because I don't <laughs> think Samuel failed. Mm. Eli failed. So go back, hold your spot there. You go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 29. When it comes to Eli and his kids, God actually confronts them. He sends a messenger to share, um, uh, his own, to share a message from himself to Eli. And he says, in a rhetorical question, why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? God sends a messenger to tell Eli, you've chosen your sons over me. And then if you skip to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13, when, when God reveals his consequences for Eli and his choosing of his sons above him, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13, God tells Samuel this about Eli. I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Eli had fault. Eli had not disciplined his sons. Eli had not done anything to correct his sons. And God called him out and God gave out consequences. We get to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and the description of, of Samuel, or really of Samuel's sons, is that they do not walk in his ways, they turn aside after gain, they took brides, and they perverted justice. But there's no criticism of Samuel. There's no condemnation of Samuel. There's no consequences being meted out on Samuel. I don't know that this is Samuel's failure as much as it is his son's. And maybe that's important for some people to hear because sometimes as a parent you might feel like a failure because your kid didn't stay faithful or your kids made some bad decisions or your kids wandered off and become the, become the prodigal we talked about this morning. This may not be Samuel's failure. It, it was Eli's. Don't, don't 
overlook that, that, that Eli. That's why, that may be why Eli's not on our list. Eli wasn't the parent he should be. Maybe Samuel had some mistakes in there, but they, they didn't result in the same consequences Eli received. And so I don't know that this is Samuel's failure. Maybe, maybe this is kind of in line with Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You can take that two ways. You can take it as, hey, if you train your kid right, then they're going to stay faithful. You can take it as, hey, no, no matter what you do, they're going, to, they're going to choose their way. Maybe it's a situation where, where Samuel's sons just didn't follow him, even though he tried to do what was right. So I don't know that it's necessarily his failure, but it definitely is, think about the burden this leader of a nation, this guy who's, who God appointed to be prophet, priest, uh, and, and judge, and he, and he can't even, he, his kids have strayed away. How's he going to keep a whole nation together? I'm sure the stress and the burden and the, and the baggage that came with that was overwhelming. That's a great point, Kyle. I've never thought about it that way. I think, man, what a pointed lesson that could be all by itself. Um, the only thing I think that maybe on the other side of the coin, and just something I found kind of interesting, is... Um, he appointed his sons. Mm. How many times when they're self-appointed judges does that go well? There's a lot of judges that are called by God, and, th- and that appointment made that. And then in First, uh, first Samuel chapter 3, again, it's God calling Samuel to this role as judge. Mm. And so maybe a slight issue could be that these, these guys should have never been judges in the first place. You look down at verse 1, and it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. And so it's, you know, maybe that was the plan all along and it just didn't work out because they had, he had, you know, he didn't have good sons, right? Maybe that's not his fault. Or maybe, maybe that's an issue in itself that he was, he was blind and he still appointed his judge, judges despite, the judges to follow him despite. Maybe that wasn't even his role in the first place. I think something could also be said about chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. It seems like uh, Samuel's on the road a lot. You know, you can be a good parent when you travel. You just, it makes it harder on yourself. You know, just because you're, you're a father or a mother that maybe your job travels doesn't mean that, well, I can't be a good parent. No, it just means you may have to work harder to be a good parent because you're that, you spend that much time away from your kids. You just have a, maybe a harder task and, you know, prayers go up for that. So maybe that's also went into some of maybe the downfall. But that was a great point, Kyle. Yeah, um, I, and I, I agree with what Kyle was sharing um, that, bad kids don't necessarily mean they're bad parents. I mean, what would it say about the Heavenly Father? If we look at his kids, um, <laughs> I think you just got to be careful there. Uh, and so I think we can get very judgy um, when it comes to all that. Uh, we, we all, sadly, know people who have kids, and their teachers say their kids are hellions, and their Bible class teachers say they're hellions, and church members say they're hellions, and aunt and uncle and grandparents say they're just out of control, and <laughs> mom and dad don't see it. Um, <laughs> and that's just the, the bottom line. And to me, that, I, I, I feel like that's Samuel's error in a way. He, he couldn't see the problems his own sons had that made them unfit to be a judge. Um, and, and sometimes as parents, we, we only see the good and, and neglect the bad. And I think that's a warning here. But this text, combine this with Eli, Samuel and Eli, like I don't know, as, as ministers and dads, like this is like the one that always stands out to me, right? Because we can get so devoted to ministry that we neglect our family. And uh, this is a slap in the face to me. Good thoughts, guys. Let's follow that up with a very positive thing we see in Samuel in, in chapter 8 as well. 
uh, in chapter 8, when, when the people demand a king and they want to be like all the other nations, we can see that Samuel is upset at this demand. He, he, he is upset that the people of Israel would want to leave God as king. Because I, I believe when you look at the text and you kind of understand Samuel, that, that God viewed, or Samuel viewed God as king of Israel already. And so he understands that establishing an, an earthly, you know, human king was going to be leaving God. So he's very upset at this uh, uh, call that the, the people make. And with an entire nation disagreeing with him, he stood his ground and fully explained what was going to happen if they went down this road. In chapter 8, you can see this lengthy description of, of what's going to happen to the children of Israel if you decide to go this route, if you go down this, you know, this, this, this avenue, this is what's going to happen. And it's a very, very uh, thorough description of what's going to happen to the children of Israel. You can go ahead and look at verses 11 and following to see that. Uh, so the question we have here is, what can we learn from this exchange between Samuel, between the people, and between God? Man, that's crazy. So, as we just shared a minute ago, none of his words fell to the ground. And this dude comes along and he says, this is going to be incredibly awful for you all if you do this. Mm -hmm. And like, no, nah, well, we want a king, like all the other nations. Uh, it's amazing. One of the things that I really appreciate about Samuel here and then later, when he's just breaking down in tears because of Saul, uh, he, I believe he loves Saul, and we're going to look at that in a minute, but is how personally I think he probably took it because you have the text that says where the Lord says to Samuel chapter 8 verse 7 obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you for they have not rejected you they've rejected me from being king over them and to me uh, if I may read between the lines God doesn't say that unless Samuel feels rejected and uh, it's nice to know that other men and women who have told the truth and taken a stand for God, who have been rejected, can feel like I feel when rejected for preaching and sharing the truth. And that ultimately God knows what that feels like. So I take comfort in that. I'll, I'll let the other guys step in. There's lots of good stuff here. That taking it personally was exactly what I was thinking too, um, because it's like God's having to comfort him. It's like God's having to say, it's okay. It's okay, Samuel. They're rejecting me, not you. It's, it, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. Um, so I, so I, I'm fascinated. Here's, here's, here's someone that God has to make feel better about this when it's really God who's the one that, that's ultimately offended. But what it tells me is that um, anything that is offensive to God should be offensive to us. Anything that is displeasing to God should be displeasing to us. Anything that breaks the heart of God should break our hearts too. We should be like Samuel, that we should be so personally invested in our Lord everything that happens to him is felt by us. That's my big takeaway from it. You know, you have that response from God, and you have this lengthy explanation from Samuel. But I think all that starts back in verse 6, because as soon as he hears that the, con the, the congregation of Israel wants a king, he's upset, obviously, but the text doesn't say that he bit back at them, mm -hmm. or he, you know, slashed them back down and told them, you know, you don't know what you're asking for, and you don't know what you want. And No, what does he do? When they said, give us a king, Samuel prayed to the Lord. When faced with re rejection, when faced with opposition, his first thing was not to retaliate or not to 
to um, even speak logic to them, even though what he was feeling was sense, his first thing is, I've got to go to God. I've got to hear what he says about this. And that's when God says, it's not you, it's me. You just explain it to him. And from there, he has these wise moments of explaining everything, God speaking to him again. But it all starts with him taking the crisis to God first. And what a good example for us is that. All right, I want everybody to go ahead and, and flip over to chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be seeing, uh, you know, Samuel has established Saul as king over Israel. Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is, and that might come in a bit later, is, is just, you know, some of the most important moments in Israel's history Samuel is a part of. And you're going to see that here with chapter 15 when Saul has been charged and commanded by God himself to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Don't leave anything alive. That, that, that includes everything. All of the animals, all of, all of the, the people of Amalek, utterly destroy them from the face of the earth. And we know, if, if you've studied this, uh, old, the Old Testament, you know that, that Saul spares some of the choice livestock, some of the choice uh, people, such as King Agag himself, King Agag of Amalek. So the question I have tonight is, well, let's, let's read verse 33 first. Verse 33. Samuel, and it says, But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Now, that's my kind of judge. I mean, wow. You, you don't think about that in the VBS story, right? So it's amazing when you think about Samuel... He's this guy who's given, given his whole life to the service of the Lord. And, and here, when, when someone dares not follow the words of the Lord, he's going to get it fixed. He's going to be the one to stand in the gap. He's going to be the one to follow the words of the Lord, regardless of, of who, king, who, who this quote-unquote king is. He's going to get the job done. So the question I have is, what can we learn from Samuel's actions in this chapter, chapter 15? I think you see the dedication of Samuel here once again. I mean, we have, you know, we're, just, we're flying through the life of Samuel. Yeah. There's a good chance that years and years and years have gone by since the appointment of Saul. Because he's, I think chapter 14, verses 47 through 52 talks about the constant warfare. That's seasonal. It's yeah. not like they had 14 wars in three months, right? Years have gone by. Saul was an established king of a victorious nation. And yet, God's, you know, when God says, Samuel, I'm upset. Samuel packs his bags and gets on the road. Not only does he travel, he goes over there, he meets with Saul. Why do I hear these sheep in the background? Saul kind of bristles, bristles, you know, kind of bristles up a little bit. He says, no, I didn't, I didn't disobey. And Samuel never backs down. He's going out of his way, and now he's meeting with the king of Israel, which, you know, Saul has a bit of a pride problem already, a little bit, right? And so, yet... Samuel is not backing down. And then given that chance, he hacks all Agag to pieces, which is amazing. And then he goes back to Ramah. His job is done. Yeah. It's like that, you know, like wise old man. You know, he's done his deal, and now he gets his cane, and he hobbles back to Ramah, you know? <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's just the dedication this man has, despite he's going. I mean, there's just a lot going on here, a lot more than a simple conversation in a palace, right? Just, you know, I wonder how many of us have been angry with the direction of leaders and government and what our reaction is 
to that, and I, I, I've got to bring this out, Jay, because you brought it out earlier. So chapter 15, verses 10, and if you look at verse 11, chapter 15, verse 10, verse 11, where the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. There it is. I mean, I just, that's just so foreign to me, that reaction of with these feelings of rejection and now anger, he's going to the Lord um, with it. And that's just really remarkable. So many, this will preach chapter 15 to me. Um, got lots of stuff underlined that I could bring out. But I think 23, those words are so strong. Uh, where S Samuel tells Saul, rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Mm -hmm. um, he presumed that when God said destroy all things, <laughs> you know, not the good stuff. Um, and Samuel, here he is, just like he did with Eli, he told him the cold hard truth. Put it in front of him. So guys, let's uh, kind of wrap this up with a, a couple of questions. Um, we, have, we have ranked Samuel as the number one overall judge in our Judging the Judges series. The question I have is, what is the legacy of Samuel throughout Scripture and, he, and even on into that today? And um, why does he deserve that first place ranking? All right. For me, it, my favorite Samuel passage is his farewell address in chapter 12. So chapter 12 and what he says in verse 23. This dude has been rejected. He's been pushed aside. They said, we don't want you. And we all can identify with that. We've had relationships where that's happened. And listen to what Samuel's response is. Chapter 12, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. And I think that's something that stands out um, to me because it's very easy in my life to say, oh, you, 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 have, you have mistreated me. Uh, I'm done with you. I'm through with you. And here Samuel almost presents it as, well, if we, as part of the holy priesthood, the royal priesthood through Jesus Christ, if we abandon prayer for folks who've rejected us. I believe it's wrong. I believe it is a sin. And so to me, this man continually in prayer is one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest, he's up there at the top for me. So think about Samuel for a second. He has an unmatched resume. As far as I know, he's the only judge to be trained by another judge. He is the only one of two judges who simultaneously functioned as a priest, the other being Eli. He's only one of two judges the Bible identifies as a prophet. Aubrey, you can check me on it. Eli didn't get the title. He's only the only judge to anoint a king. In Jeremiah 15.1, uh, the, the Lord puts Samuel on a pedestal with Moses as one of the greatest intercessors in Israelite history. He's the last specific entrant into the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. But I really like the way one encyclopedia defined him. 
They say that Samuel filled every role of leadership open to a Jewish man of his day. Seer, priest, <clears throat> judge, prophet, and when you consider what he did to Agag, military leader. Mm. That's why he's number one. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I think the only thing I'll add to that is that all, that ha- all, all that's been said did not happen in one campaign. It's the, it's the longevity of Samuel's dedication. He's an amazing man because, you know, we have, Ehud, we, have all these, we have all these past six characters who have amazing, you know, moments of faith and then periods of peace, right? They don't drop off. But here's Samuel with two books, you know, pinned, one and a half pinned by him probably, right? And it's decade after decade of amazing moments that we're still talking about. You have his call to, all the way from chapter 15 all the way to David. I mean, you have just, just over and over and over again, Samuel's still there. Samuel's still there where we just, that's unmatched. The longevity of his faith when it comes to the judges, unmatched. And, and depending on who you ask, the dude can't even be dead and stay dead and they're still calling him back. That's right. More. He's but so that's, good, that's we brought him back. Yes. So, I mean, that's another tale for another. It's just crazy. Really awesome. The whole rest of uh, the Old Testament seems to beckon back to Samuel's reign as judge and prophet because uh, one example is in Jeremiah chapter 15, in verse 1, we know how the people of Israel were uh, during Jeremiah's time as prophet. Uh, You could argue that they were farther away from God than at any other time in history. And yet, in Jeremiah chapter 15, God himself says this about Samuel. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Think about God himself saying, These are are my top two. I mean, really, honestly, that's that's what God himself is saying. When it comes to Moses and Samuel, he says, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, I would not be favorable to the people of Israel anymore. I think that's the legacy. That, that, that's the power that you can see someone hundreds and hundreds of years later still being called back to. That's the impact, the legacy of Samuel. I believe that's why he deserves number one in our, our poll tonight. Really quickly. I wonder if there's anything else we could say about our study at, in, in general, judging the judges. No? Well, I, I'll say this. Yeah? I think the story of the book of Judges is about imperfect men doing perfect things. Mm. I think it's a study about that none of them are worthy, even as good as Samuel is. None of them is worthy for the title God gives them. It's a, sto- it's a story of unworthiness. It's a story of faults and problems and weaknesses. And God says, and that's the man or woman that I want to be my leader. And what an incredible passage. What an incredible study for people these, day, you know, these days where everybody feels broken. Everybody feels less than up for being worthy of a title. And uh, the story of Judges is a story of going, then that's exactly the guy that God wants me to be. You know? and it's the story of the cycle of my life over and over mm. and over again, mm-hmm. tragically. Yeah, it's, uh, I wander away from God. Uh, I'm not as devoted as I should be. Bad stuff happens <laughs> because of my own sinful choices. I experience those consequences. I cry out to him. I get close to him again. And here we go. The cycle repeats itself. And so um, very real, judges is very real.
We hope that you've enjoyed the uh, study we've had on, on the book of Judges, on the Judges themselves, and uh, you may disagree with our rankings, uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes people making the rankings make the wrong call. That's right. I mean, we've seen that this year a few times. Um, but, uh, and sometimes I get it perfect. It's yeah. crazy. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. I don't, Depends on who you ask. That's right. John Burnett. Um, so, when you think about our study, Judging the Judges, you know, Seriously, though, that cycle you just mentioned and you brought up, um, perhaps during this study, you, you, you've been sitting there and you've been thinking about your life and you've been thinking about this dreaded cycle that s- ceases to, to, to stop rolling and I can't seem to stop this cycle from happening in my life. Maybe tonight there's someone here that, that wants to talk to someone about your faith, about, about your soul, about... Uh, where your eternal destiny is and uh, we know that we don't offer an invitation and, and sing a song in a certain way but I hope you know that the, the Lord's invitation is open every second of every day all you have to do is answer it so if there's someone here that needs to talk to someone, uh, one of our shepherds one of us, we would love to talk to you uh, and, and pray with you study with you uh, if that interests you tonight Tonight uh, is, is a pretty special uh, night to me, to us. Uh, back in 2020, uh, we felt the need to have more than just one uh, service because a couple weeks there, we were only having uh, Sunday morning, and we didn't have a plan for Sunday night. And so Jay, Kyle, Mingu, and myself, we came together, and we, we had a discussion. We, we wanted to have a Bible study. We started out on Zoom. We came up to the building and had the the room there, and we started here. If you look at the, the logo for, for the Ministers of the Roundtable, it says Jay Hall, Mingu, Kyle, and myself. And so tonight is Jay's last roundtable with us uh, as an f- official role. Um, he'll, he'll join us from time to time, I'm sure, uh, whenever, we're, whenever, he, you know, whenever we need you. He's that kind of guy to jump in. Um, I'm going to give it to him to, to say a few words and then close us out in prayer. I'll, I'll keep this short, um, really quick. It, I hate, you know, not to be sitting in this seat anymore um, in a professional role. Um, I filled it very unprofessionally a very long time now. And uh, it's an honor to sit up here for two reasons. And one is because I get to sit by these men. Um, I don't think, I, I hope the congregation understands how much forth, just thought goes into the lessons and, and the planning and the questions and, and the, the relationship that we're able to kind of bring out here. Um, it's been an honor to sit by y'all's side for the past couple of years and uh, share the pulpit with you in the series. And um, that's an honor that I will greatly miss on Sunday nights. And I'll be happy to um, be sitting in the pew still learning from you guys as I've learned from up here. The second reason is, is, is quickly, it's an honor to be up here because of the congregation I get to look out at each Sunday night. You are a congregation that's very vocal in your support. You're a congregation that's very vocal um, or very um, visible in your, in your listening. It's so nice to look out at a congregation that's engaged, taking notes or thinking, and that's just been, that feeds the minister. That wants us to, to speak more and to do more. And, um, and so it's been an absolute honor to, to share the pulpit at Buford and to, to take my time. Ooh, Excuse me, that burp came out of grief. Um, that's about right for me. Whew. That's, that's that happened to me. I know. Oh, I got a leg cramp. Oh. 
Um, that was just a cramp in my lung. I had a lung cramp. That wasn't a burp. Um, oh, that's about right. Uh, it's been an honor to walk up the stairs and to share God's word with all of you. I thank you for all your support over the years. Thank you for all your kind words and understanding and all the love that was shown last week. Thank you so much for that. That is, I, I can't speak to that enough. Thank you so much for just making me feel that way. That means more than you know. Um, I look forward to being a member here. I'm in no rush to leave Buford because this is a good congregation. So uh, thank you guys and thank you to everyone out here tonight. Uh, I'll close this with prayer, correct? Okay. Dear God, we humbly approach your throne, thankful that we get to be a family and that we get to come to your throne, Lord, together. We get to um, celebrate the ups and to work together through the downs. Thank you for being our Father. You've given us a good home here at Buford. You've given us a good home in your kingdom. You've provided us with good leadership here. You've given us good men uh, able to lead. You've, you've given us good families, Lord, that drive this congregation. You've given us such a good platform to be a light in this community. Lord, help us to be everything that we can be and to, to answer your call. Lord, help us to look at the men of the book of Judges and see all that they were able to do, the men and women. And Lord, help us to see our, our strengths and, and to share our weaknesses with each other, Lord, and to come together as much as possible so that we can be an imperfect people with a perfect goal. We look forward to a day where um, no difficult sayings need to be said and that we just get to sit at your feet together. Thank you for being our God and praise your son's name. Amen.